my guests today are Sam Perry and Andrew Whitehead, authors of Taking America Back for God. So to start with, how, how should we define Christian nationalism? How do you define Christian nationalism? Yeah, so in our book, um, we, you know, it's kind of been a process for us, too, as we started studying this back in 2014, trying to get a handle on what what this is, you know, as we kind of study it empirically and then trying to make sense of, of how powerful it is. And so in our book, and, and since then, we've kind of come to a understanding or make an argument that in many ways, Christian nationalism is a cultural framework, is what we call it. So it's a collection of not just narratives of saying, oh, the U.S. is a Christian nation, but also symbols and value systems that come with that. So it's a cultural package in a way. And really it operates like a lens through which Americans view and interpret their social worlds, but then also decide how to act within it. Um, and what it wants at its root um, is really about power and privilege and having this type of Christianity, which we're, I'm sure we'll unpack later, but Christianity kind of at the center of the culture where we idealize and advocate this fusion between this type of Christianity and American civic life. And so they want to see, um, or Christian nationalism as cultural framework is about, you know, creating a country in the United States that is distinctively Christian, again, a particular type, in its national identity, its sacred symbols, and its public policies. So creating a Christian identity in symbols, public policy, could you say a bit more about what the I guess the policy objectives are there. Yeah, I so I mean I, I think in in terms of uh, how these policy preferences align with Christian nationalist ideology or how what kind of policy preferences would align, um, it would be uh, and it's it's uh, as Andrew was saying it's a it's a particular kind of Christianity. We we mean sectarian, evangelical, Republican kind of cultural conservatism that is Christian in quotes there, and so it it really is about. Uh, things like protection of certain definitions of the family, that is man, woman, uh, heterosexual marriage, uh, certain understandings of gender, uh, making no allowances for trans men and women, uh, trans persons in, in terms of their civil, liber civil liberties. Others would be, uh, and we've, well, we've since kind of dug into this a little bit more in our, our most recent research, is, is certain understandings of economics. Christian nationalism is, is very much so tied to neoliberal, libertarian, laissez-faire economic principles, a disgust of socialism and a distrust of all things, kind of the smack of preferential hiring or, or special treatment for those less fortunate, a distrust of the poor uh, and, a, and a celebration of the wealthy as, as deserving of all of those things. And so, I mean, basically all, all of this kind of, it's, it's, a, it's a sanctified far-right Republican Party platform, right? Like it's 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 that kind of policy preferences undergirding those kinds of political preferences with this kind of well, this is Christian. This is this is how it should be, and this is what God wants for America. Now, y'all don't get so much into the the preferences on economic policy and taking America back for God, right? Not really. We didn't really have the the data at the time, so we were just kind of limited to that. And subsequently, we've just been able to collect some survey data and the, the, it just in lockstep. Uh, you guys, the work you guys are doing is so important, man. Cause, okay. So I, I, cause I'm defining a kind of, you know, I'm working on a book to do with uh, evangelicalism and, and uh, how we should, it's sort of political philosophy for evangelicals. Right. And cool. I define this position that I thought about calling Christian nationalism, but then, you know, y'all's book came out. I was like, well, it's different. 
But I actually think it might. So there are three pillars, as far as I can tell. One of which is that basically God favors the free market. Another of which is that uh, America is descending into moral degeneracy. And, and another of which is that I call it, I guess, sort of the uh, prosperity gospel light. Right? They're not promising you yachts and so on, but if you do the right things, right, if you behave prudently, then you will be able to meet your basic economic needs, which means, of course, by modus tollens, if you need public assistance, then you've done something wrong. <laughs> right? right. And, if, and this is actually incoherent. Right? These three things don't go together because moral degenerates are the people, the consumers in the free market, which means they're the ones deciding... Uh, and they have disordered values, right? Which means that they're not going to give money to the right kinds of things, which means you're not necessarily going to get money because you're doing the right thing. Because the market doesn't care what people should value. It only cares about what people do value, <laughs> right? Right, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, all right. Well, and I think that that, that is an indicator. Uh, I think you would, you would recognize it as, as an incoherent kind of set of beliefs and, and, and philosophies backing a, a, a push for some kind of a political power, I think is an indicator that the power really comes first and the political philosophies or the political theology is really post hoc rationalization for mm -hmm. what we already want. Like we, we know that we should be in charge. We know that these people who are not in charge want what we got. And we want to make sure that we're kind of justified in keeping it from keeping it from them. And so how do we do that? Well, let's come up with ways to sanctify the, the things that we already like and, and the things that we already kind of want to make happen. And what results is, I think, just what you're pointing out is this kind of incoherent grab bag of, of theological justifications for whatever our tribe kind of feels like we're owed. And it's, it's right there in the term moral majority, right? Because mm. majority implies a kind of power in a democratic society. It's, so it's sort of like overdetermined, right? We've got this argument based on morality, but by the way, we also have the power, right? <laughs> okay, get, getting a bit of... Uh, ahead of myself here so okay so <laughs> could you talk a bit about how for christian nationalists the term christian seems to be sort of coded language yeah i think you know it's really a historical project in a lot of respects so you know we have data kind of going back until the late 90s, at least in the book, you know, late 90s um, up until today, and especially over the last decade. But, you know, the rise of the moral majority in the 70s as a response to, you know, different cultural upheavals in the 60s, and um, especially with the civil rights movement, you know, they're the, the leaders of that, whether they were, you know, within the Republican Party or conservative Christian leaders and them coming together and saying, okay, we can, we can come together and activate a whole voting block we both kind of get what we want. Um, so the Republicans, are, you know, they're going to be able to create a platform that really benefits some of economic policy or whatever else. And then for those um, within conservative Christian circles, you know, kind of a, um, a social policy that they want to see around marriage and, and sexuality and gender and all those things. And so, you know, they're making the case, you know, especially at that point, and this is something that's been happening too, you know, in, in prior decades, but what we see today making this case that, um, you know, to be Christian, it should be assumed that you are, you know, pro-life and they'll define what that means. And so that comes with it. And then, um, you know, to be Christian is, you know, to to know that God has blessed this country and allows people to do what they want within it. Um, but they have to kind of ignore, you know, a whole history of, of racial oppression, that type of thing 
because it's really for white people to be able to do what they want. And that's been a part of it. So especially with, um, you know, the segregation academies where with Brown v. Board and all of that, you know, you're not going to be able to, um, you're going to have to integrate schools in, but they want to be able to create their own academies like uh, Liberty, Liberty, well, now Liberty University, but what Falwell created. And so, you know, all these different things are, are kind of pushing them. And so they're defining what Christian is and helping, trying to help people see, well, this is what Christians do and, and how, how it should be lived out. Um, and so what we find over and over empirically is that um, really when they're talking about Christian, it, it really means this as a Christian nation, it means a, a nation that is for white, native-born, culturally, religiously, politically conservative Americans, um, and especially men. And so as we look at the history of the country, it's, it's no surprise that, you know, the founding of the country was for white landowning males, and then that really is still with us today. Um, and so Christian in that sense, that's what they're hearing and responding to. Um, and, and over and over, we just see empirical evidence of this. And so, you know, for, for me, or at least maybe us too, I don't want to speak for Sam, um, you know, there, there's a whole issue of what came first or, you know, or kind of maybe more, you know, racist people drawn towards this or, you know, does Christian nationalism push them in these uh, ways that make them a little more, uh, you know, less likely to say that there are racial inequalities. Um, for me, it, it, I don't matter. It doesn't matter as much. The fact that they're so tightly intertwined and this is what being Christian means to them untangling that um, matter, I guess, matters less of where it came from, but what does that mean going forward? And so we see in this country, there's going to be significant hurdles, um, no matter who is in office, you know, with yesterday, the inauguration happening, there's a lot still that it, a lot of work has to be done to make sense of, well, what does Christian mean? And, and what comes with that package? <laughs> I take it that you all both grew up in, or, or at least have experience in white evangelicalism as right. participants, I guess. Uh, yeah. so, so this, how does your research, like how do you wrestle with the results of the research given that this was the environment in which you came to faith? I think a lot of people are struggling with that right now. Uh, particularly with Dumay's book, I, I would say your book and, du and Dumay's book right. have caused a lot of people to say, like, I, I mean, what, what it, like, what is this? Right. <laughs> right? So how, how do, I, yeah, I mean, how do you respond to that, either personally or, or, yeah, I mean, what, what, what's your reaction? Yeah. So I, you know, I grew up in evangelical context and still. And I'm in that context, honestly, like I, I don't consider myself separate from that it, and separate politically and separate culturally in many ways, but I, I still consider them my people. Uh, and maybe that actually helps uh, because I don't I, I feel like I have their best in mind. Like I don't I don't I don't. Uh, and you might not be able to tell this from, say, Twitter or social media, because I, I don't think I go go easy on evangelicals, but partly is because I feel like it's been. Uh, so twisted and perverted and hijacked and kind of morphed into this fraudulent uh, kind of expression of, of whatever committed Christianity is supposed to look like, at least in my view. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think that gives me compassion for them as a, as, a, as a group, because I feel like once we 
it's it's the people that you meet that you've you've kind of been able to as you were as you were pointing out scott like uh kristen dumay's book and our book and and our work on this you you encounter people that you've kind of been able to turn the mirror on and say look what look what this makes you do like what this look 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 what this demands of you and and demands that you sacrifice and compromise in terms of what you say you're committed to and then people realize man that's that uh you know that hits me like i'm 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 disgusted by what this has become and uh, the idolatry that is inherent in this kind of political theology and the, the ethics that I'm required to violate and how unchristlike this, this, this has kind of made its, its adherence to be. You know, I mean, I think that gives me hope that, that the two can be separate. I think uh, I'm kind of fascinated by these conversations about to what extent white evangelicalism has ever been or, or can be extricated from white supremacy. And, uh, you know, I think knowing people like my parents who are uh, evangelicals and, and not white supremacists and very much against uh, white supremacy and yet and still can theologically conservative Christians in many ways lead, gives me hope that that you can you can be a committed theologically and in many ways conservative Christian who holds to all the creeds and all those kinds of things and still not be a white Christian nationalist. So, I, you know, I, I think, uh, uh, and we've, we've tried to, and Andrew can speak to this as well, but we've tried to in the book, uh, we tried to be very clear about like, look, we're, we're talking about this ideology, not evangelicals per se. And we try to point out in every chapter that once we account for Christian nationalism in our kind of statistical models, being a more religious person actually makes you a good neighbor, right? Like the, the, it's the religious people who are, are less racist and less xenophobic and less, you know, into just kind of raw, raw gun rights and pro-Second Amendment and military and all these kinds of things. And so I think that gives me hope that like once we pull out the Christian nationalist portion of this, Christians can be the, the ideal citizen, uh, good citizens, the kind that we would want to have around. And so I'd like to see more of that. So one way to read an element of your your empirical findings is that actually being more, as you just said, right, like being more involved in church, praying more uh, practices and so uh, religious practice and so on. Uh, once you've accounted for Christian nationalism, it actually makes you more, uh, as you say, a better neighbor, right? Uh, so it, it's sort of like like genuine faith is like this antidote <laughs> to, sure. to this background of Christian nationalism. Yeah, yeah. Right. Andrew, did you want to, did you want to speak to? Yeah, no, I think you know it. Like our research, and at least for my journey with this research, you know, as part of my own personal journey. So growing up in white evangelicalism, and in many ways, there was so much that was good about that, and and what they taught and said was important. And I think um, I'm not alone in this because you see people writing books now too that are looking back and saying, you know, everything they told us and said was important, now they they will let go of or turn their back on when it might cost them, let's say, politically. And so what is that about? So a lot of people kind of our age wrestling with this faith tradition that kind of raised us and taught us, but is ignoring the voices of minorities and the marginalized and, you know, is intent on turning away, you know, refugees. And even if they're Christian refugees, like this is not your country or immigrants and so the things that were taught and kind of inculcated about the gospel and who Jesus was, um, in a lot of ways, when we look at Christian nationalism over and over for, for us, it was like, wow, this, this is completely different than maybe what you might hear preached or, or what people say, you know, the gospels or, or Christ was about. And so 
yeah, I think it's coming to terms with some of that. And in many ways, for me, I, I think of it too as holding up a mirror to, as, as Sam said, our own people where we've got, you know, dirt on our faces and we need to see what's wrong so we can clean that off. And, um, you know, as Sam kind of pointed out or, or was kind of wondering too, you know, white evangelicalism, is there something there that, that can survive beyond its, you know, historical marriage to, you know, white supremacy and very racialized understandings of, of kind of America and, and their faith? And, and so I honestly don't know, but I know that there are people kind of on this path. And so um, that's what kind of gives me hope and, and wanting to learn from a lot of those voices that, to be honest, in growing up in white evangelicalism, you just didn't hear from and were obviously shut out and are continuing to try to be shut out. And so um, I think that there is, I don't know what will happen in the future, but I think there is hope there. But um, but yeah, just coming back to that, that you can be a, a Christian or not, and you can, if you reject this idea that this nation is just for us or for a certain group of people, um, be good neighbors. And, you know, a lot of times you find that outside the walls of, of evangelicalism, um, sometimes more easily than, than inside with some of the, you know, tribalism and, and things like that. So, yeah, as, as Sam said, there are people that I grew up with that, you know, were parents, you know, in those churches that are seeing this and, and turning away from some of this, which gives me hope. And it isn't, it isn't a lost cause, you know, to, to speak to, to this group and these people and try to move them along. And um, sometimes I guess you wish it would be faster, but I, you know, I think too, deep down, um, just like, you know, white supremacy, obviously it has such implications for minority groups. It, it has implications for white people too. Like it destroys us. And, and I see Christian nationalism in the same way. It, it destroys those that are holding on so tightly to say that we have to keep power, we have to do these things in order to be able to be Christians. And I think there's a lot of um, fear and anxiety and, and those things wrapped up in it that, that we can let go of that. I think, it, you know, for my own personal faith, that that God allows us to let go of. We don't have to, to worry about this. We can let that stuff go. And that's what I think I would hope for. Um, because it would just make for a kinder, gentler, more empathetic world. To, to what, you know, to the extent that we can hopefully move in that direction. Um, so that's kind of, yeah, our research and my personal journey wrapped up um, with with what we're seeing and what we're finding. So I, I didn't invite you to come talk to me just for, you know, testimonial. So I'll get back to the academic stuff, but I just have one other, there's one other sort of wrinkle here, right? Which is that in these white evangelical spaces, um, and the, the SBC is what I'm most familiar with personally, Right. People are silenced. I mean, they're, they're, people will have their employment threatened if they speak up uh, in opposition to this extra biblical agenda. So I don't know about y'all, but so I, you know, I'm at a confessional institution that doesn't care about the SBC, right? You know, the obvious, as you all know well, right? I mean, Catholic ac academia is very, you know, there's academic freedom, right? Right. right. Yeah, so so in that regard, I'm similarly situated to y'all, right? To to where so, you know, Sam, you mentioned on Twitter, you know, you you sort of speak truth in, into and, and Andrew, you do the same. I I I feel an obligation, honestly, because it, because of my situation, because I know people who and I talk to people. Right. I, I you know I don't know about y'all, but I yeah I I 
I hear from people all the time, like, thank you, right. you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, so do you, it's, there, there, there's this, it seems like with, with, with our generation, there are folks in academia coming up and saying like, yeah, I'm going to, I'm actually going to apply my training to these problems in the church. Right. Yeah. But you, I mean, you mentioned being silenced and I, I, I can't share with you their names, but I have, I have at least two faculty who, who I know are, who are, who, who message me privately on, on Twitter. Uh, and they're both at conservative, one a Southern Baptist, another one just a conservative evangelical seminary. And they can't, they can't, they can't talk to me or agree or agree with me on Twitter, <laughs> even though I know like we have these very nice conversations over private message and they're very, they're, you know, very cordial and we may have differences, but like they're, they're really nice. But it, even if they, even if they acknowledged a point at all, rather than just kind of engaging in just constant culture war uh, language on Twitter, they'd be labeled uh, liberals and somebody would be after them probably you know i mean could cost them their job and so they know they they know they'd be silent since that kind of that kind of environment where you, you can't even acknowledge that like maybe the president of your seminary you know took took a wrong stance on something maybe you maybe you feel like they they should have uh not expressed such overt support for a politician that you know ended up kind of being disgraced so it's it's a it's a tough it's a tough world to be in Could y'all talk about the uh, power, boundaries, and order, these themes that you see in Christian nationalism? Yeah, I'll, I'll take a stab here. Um, yeah, so when we were, you know, starting to work on this and seeing kind of the breadth that Christian nationalism, as we were measuring it, um, into different areas of how Americans think about their social world, make sense of it, um, their attitudes on just a host of different things, we started to see some of those um, boundaries, you know, emerge. So power in that it really is about within the political realm, you know, and you'll hear this from, you know, Christian leaders or even um, politicians who might be on the right. We need to get the right people in the, the right places of power, right? So especially with Trump, he'll get us the judges. We need those judges. So um, Christian nationalism is, is interested in that. It needs to, it wants to ensure access to the levers of power and privilege in the social world. And so a whole host of kind of those cultural um, hot button issues um, that we're all familiar with, whether it's abortion or same sex marriage or proper respect to American traditions or, you know, not kneeling during the national anthem, all those things. Um, and then to boundaries that it really wants to, um, it does create strong boundaries of an in-group and an out-group. There's an us and there is a them. And the us, again, needs to maintain access to power. And so those boundaries generally are around, we find, race and, and religion. So religious minorities, um, so non-religious folks or of other world religions, they generally are not in the in-group. And also racially, that uh, we find for especially white Americans, you know, there are strong racial boundaries to who the us is. And then finally, order is this idea that for Christian nationalism or Americans that strongly embrace this cultural framework, there's a desire for what they see as a rightly ordered society. So there's a hierarchy. There's a there's a hierarchy that they would, as they would talk about it, that God has instituted. So if we're talking about gender, you know, God is male and 
man is God's representative on earth. So men are the head of the family and should be the ones that are out in the world, you know, being president, um, being, you know, on city council, preaching on Sunday, and then women are, you know, should be submissive to that. Um, and so there's a, there's a rightly ordered, you know, at least with gender uh, nature to that. And so they want to see that order. And so when we talk about same-sex marriage or, or transgender rights and civil rights, they would be opposed to that because, again, it's outside of that. So how are boundaries in order are these things that, um, you know, Sam has said before, which I think is great, you know, Christian nationalism really worships that holy trinity. It wants to see that, you know, as, as the way that the world works and how things work. And I think there are some other aspects of it that we've kind of discovered more in the years, in the year and a half since we finished the book that, you know, could have been other chapters with that. But I think those are the big three that, that really kind of undergird this cultural framework um, in the way that they see the world. Yeah, for folks who, who claim the sort of the mantle of orthodoxy, they're, they're willing to sort of manipulate things like the doctrine of the Trinity, for example. <laughs> Right. In really strange ways. And they don't get pushback from the hierarchy that typically uses things like iner inerrancy and orthodoxy as a cudgel. But then when you see these really egregious violations from people who embrace the extra biblical sort of conservative agenda, there's a silence. Right. right. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think one one example of that is, and this, I mean, just the implicit white supremacy in this kind of thing. But you know, John MacArthur yesterday tweets out after after the election, he or after the, the inauguration, he tweets out something something to the effect of like, "That's it. We're now it's official. We're now one nation in rebellion against God with with uh, liberty and social justice for a few." And and think think about what your 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 underlying assumptions of that statement. Right. Like that, that we weren't that, that like America has had this kind of nice relationship with God. We haven't been a country with liberty and justice for a few up until right now, like Biden gets elected and that's it. Right. But like all of the, all the, the history of, in, of state sanctioned white supremacy of, of slavery, of Jim Crow, of, you know, Indian extermination of uh, sexism, people can't vote. Right. Like, I mean, it's, but when you think about where he's, coming from like it, it assumes the tacit assumption is that with white patriarchal men in charge god was happy he liked the country the way it was and now that we've wrested that away from and we even didn't biden's a white guy i mean old white guy but like the the, the assumption that god is now pissed because biden has been elected and now we've somehow ripped away something that has been god's the whole time is 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 really astonishing not as i mean Shocking, but not surprising, given given the things that, that MacArthur has said recently. But yeah, I mean, just the obvious blending of these kinds of, I think, white Christian nationalist assumptions yeah. of who the nation rightfully belongs to and what made it so good. When you dig a little bit deeper into that, it's just transparent who they think ought to be in charge and where the where the boundaries of us and them get get marked. Yeah, I think that's why, you know, for Sam and I, we're such apologists for this cultural framework or understanding it, if you want to make sense of religion and just what's happening and why people are saying what they're saying when obviously there's there should be cognitive dissonance, but there isn't. We just think this framework or this cultural framework of Christian nationalism really makes sense of it, as Sam pointed out. Like you can't make sense of that statement at all historically without thinking about Christian nationalism, this idea that 
oh, what he's talking about is this white native born Christian nation for this group of people. Now it isn't. That's, you know, that's why he feels that way. And in some sense, that's where the logic, I think you have to understand kind of this keyhole of Christian nationalism makes sense of that logic um, in, in a lot of ways. Yeah. And I think, I mean, you know, one of the, uh, if we can thank Trump for anything, um, it's one of one of the one of the things that he's done is I think he's made Christian nationalism so visible because he was so bad at it. So like it, it's it's not something that he was be able with any kind of sophistication able to weave into his language because he, he's a, he's a huckster. But but what he did was he was trying to speak Christian nationalism to his target audience, and it always came out so goofy and forced and ridiculous. And Trump was so bad at saying the quiet parts out loud that he in, in signaling to his crew that uh that it made it so like people would just have to say gosh that just doesn't sound that sounds so weird and and, and awkward and what are you doing and, and it's so transparent what he's trying to do so for example he and he did this often i mean I, you know you could pull up a bunch of tweets or you could pull up a bunch of quotes from him but whenever he referred to god as say the democrats are going to try to take away god they're going to take away your god or take away your religion or our or whatever it always became so obvious that what he he did not have in mind what he didn't have in mind was like God as a person as as a, as a being who has a conscience and and Jesus and and anything connected with that. But it, it became obvious that what he meant was our way of life, our values, our culture, our influence in this society. The Democrats are going to take that away, and so with Trump so awkwardly trying to speak this language, it became so transparent. And I think now people are kind of thanks to Trump being able to wake up a little bit. To see, like, gosh, this this is a pretty blatant manipulation of Christian language for the sake of political leverage and kind of a rallying cry. To you know, I mean, he was just bad at dog whistling, right? Like, he just didn't like it. You know, it's it's almost like the uh, it's almost like at the at the end of a few good men, where 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 you know Tom Cruise has uh, has him on the stand and he doesn't he doesn't want to he doesn't want to like say nice things he doesn't want to speak in dog whistles or kind of veiled things he wants to just shout it and you know when you do that you kind of make it obvious what the game is and uh and I think that's been helpful for conversation yeah yeah and I think another sign of this too is the complete flip-flop of for white evangelicals where 70%, you know, 10 years ago said, you've got to have character to hold the highest office. In <laughs> right. And then Trump gets elected. And then all of a sudden, just 30% believe it. And so Trump really, I think he's bad at, well, he's not, you know, a person of faith or, or Christian, we would say, you know, by his fruit. But so he's really bad at that part where before people would use Christian nationalism, but then also try to be personally religious, or at least outwardly, you know, be pious. And he just did away with that like he he didn't care so i think he was he was really good at the christian nationalism part of i'm just going to blatantly use this for political power and gain and and, and so in many ways he was the perfect test of the power of christian nationalism because you could kind of you he just disassociated that whole like playing as a personally pious person you know like George Bush saying that Jesus was his favorite philosopher, you know, those moments where he's like, I'm personally a, a Christian and here's some Christian nationalism with Trump. It just split that. And you could see that still for many, especially white evangelicals, they they want the Christian nationalism part, the whole personal piety part. They could leave it. But the Christian right. nationalism, that's that's where it's at for 
you know, 80% of, of evangelical, white evangelicals. So um, in that sense, I think, yeah, Sam's 100% correct. He just laid it bare. And so now we can really see it for what it was. Well, like so much else of what he does and has done, I actually think that, his, that, that the shortcomings in terms of character gave cover to some of the other things that were going on. So, for example, what you hear folks like Grudem and Moeller <laughs> write articles about right. is, well, look, I mean, so there's the whole, hypo- what everyone gets caught up in the hypocrisy of like, well, what about, you know, 20 years ago, character was super important. And now you're saying that character doesn't matter because the policies are good. And the whole time I'm thinking, the policies are not good. <laughs> <laughs> right? But, but but it's like, you know, we've justified the, the character issues and so conversation over. Right. Yeah. Right yeah. as it look like evangelicals might be starting to talk about concerns around justice, at least some that, that are our age. Right. Right. Yeah. Where, where do you see the where I'm hopeful when I uh, look at, uh, say, millennials and I've met folks on Twitter, which I say this all the time. Twitter's, of course, an awful place. But one silver lining has been I've I've met folks in older generations who do get it. Right. Right. Of course, I think in in when you get to younger Gen X and then millennials and on down, I think there's more of a critical mass there. But my, my experience is anecdotal. What does your research tell you? Oh, that's a good question. I mean, I, I, I do think we, we do see Christian nationalism as we define it in the surveys more prominently represented among older Americans, partly because it's just kind of connected to being older and more traditional and more conservative. And that's what you see. I mean, I do think I have hope among white evangelicals, like white white evangelicals, younger, who are starting to see the uh, and be disgusted by uh, the the hypocrisy. But it's it, you 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 end up encountering the situation where just people leave. Though I mean, people don't want to stay within their SBC or you know PCA or whatever church. Uh, when when they feel like it's now associated with just uh, uh, and so I you know I, I talked about this the other day on social media but like you're I, I think we're going to see an, an even greater amount of sorting uh, where people leave their really conservative church because it just got infested with just really angry white Christian nationalist kind of folks and people and this is what happened at our church recently and in, in here in Norman. We've had lots of families, and, and our our churches are like mostly college kids, and it's 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 really a you know large population of of University of Oklahoma college students, and our pastors are younger, and they kind of play it more in the middle. I don't, I wouldn't say that they're liberals at all, but I I would I would uh, you know even if they just because they have mentioned something like systemic racism or they've mentioned something like you know treating people humanely at the border or or, or valuing all of life, right? Like not not just hitting the kind of like pro-life thing, but or, or or just kind of the abortion talking point, but also talking about, hey, how problematic the death penalty might be, or how problematic kind of you know treatment of immigrants and that kind of thing. They we've they've had families, you know, they one of them just talked to me recently. So we had all kinds of families around the election leave uh, because they thought we were getting woke because they thought we were headed down the slippery slope of like critical race theory or whatever. And so I think what we're going to see is unfortunately the young people who get it uh, will 
leave and go elsewhere. And then the other churches where you've got kind of a critical mass of these older white conservatives who haven't really understood what's going on, I think are just going to become hotbeds for this kind of like the conspiracy theories, Christian nationalism, the anti-masking, the anti, anti-addressing race uh, issues. Yeah. Even though I have hope in the young people, I, I think we're encountering a situation where just people are going to kind of sort themselves and not, not help. Yeah, no, I, I 100% agree. And that's something too, that's been happening for past couple of decades with kind of the growing echo chambers where, um, right. you know, in the nineties, the rise of the unaffiliated, where you had moderate Christians were like, well, if the moral majority is Christianity, I'm out. And so they've left and that really grew. And I think Sam's right on, it'll continue. And, you know, something in our book that is kind of, you know, we didn't pull it out too much, but I think is really indicative of this type of question is in 2007 ambassadors, those that strongly embrace Christian nationalism were not significantly older than accommodators and I think even resistors. But by 2017, they were statistically significantly older than the other three groups, even accommodators by like, I think a year, I would have to grab my book and see which when we're talking about, you know, a large survey of people, um, a whole year in age and difference between a group is huge because that means, you know, the, the distribution is quite different. And so, um, I think that's indicative of even over the last decade, which is really actually a very short amount of time if we're talking about trends. If that continues or we see that continue um, in a lot of ways, yeah, they might be. It's just going to be a significantly older group. Um, but then the question becomes, as people age, do they kind of come to be they become ambassadors and they kind of move up or will it be a demographic change where older people are ambassadors and they're going to die off and we'll see that continue to shrink. But no matter what, whoever is in that, you know, upper group, the ambassador group, it's going to be such a even more salient identity because, again, people might be leaving. They're going to see themselves as under attack. And so the fact that they believe this is a Christian nation is even more at the forefront of how they see themselves and how they see their social worlds. And so it's going to be, yeah, there's going to be a reckoning with the white evangelical church. And, and I think what Sam's pointing out is, is going to take place and is starting to. So, yeah, it'll be interesting. What does your research tell you about the priority that's given to abortion policy, like actually in in decision-making around voting? Right. Uh, Yeah, so, I mean... (laughs) This is kind of a, a common finding, and I think my our research, we just collected survey data in November, really asking Americans how they placed priorities in terms of who they voted for and why. And so uh, just to give you some background, like Pew and uh, PRRI and, and all of these polling firms, I've really been asking questions about like, hey, what are your really leading influences in terms of like why you vote the way you do? Almost everybody says economy, especially like, and, and especially especially Christians, but like usually it's economy. And then it's something depending on the election or depending on the era, always economy at the top. And then it's going to be something like immigration or terrorism or whatever. And abortion is, is almost never at the, at the top of, of values there. Among white Christian nationalists and our, I mean, people like ambassadors, like Andrew was talking about, uh, in our most recent data, abortion is not really uh, that high. It's things like economy. It's things like 
uh, things like, you know, it's it, it may be code words for things like abortion, but we also ask about abortion. So it's like Supreme Court justices, which I actually think says power more than abortion, right? Like it's it's about control generally uh, to con control the judiciary. It's not about just like abortion. Uh, things like religious freedom, which we, you know, uh, uh, some co-authors and I have a paper about kind of we're working on now that like one of the strongest indicators that 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 you said religious freedom was really important to you in the election is that is white Christian nationalism. It's uh, it's your feeling that Christians are discriminated against. It's your feeling that LGBTQ people are not discriminated against. In other words, they're getting special preference. And so you feel like the victim and that kind of thing. And so, so religious words, freedom is code for I want to do what I want. Absolutely. Uh, no, yeah. I mean, I think that's that's and, and you can see like who, who are the people who always say religious freedom is to be prioritized in, in my vote choice. Well, it's evangelicals and Republicans. Uh, but we what we want to do is we want to in this analysis, we, we show that even beneath all the, the partisanship and the white evangelical identity, it's it's Christian nationalism. It's, it's, it's the desire to leverage my own power over others and my my ability to keep the government out of my out of the way I want to do things right like you can't tell me what I can and can't do but abortion is just not one of those things that uh, ends up making it to the top of the uh, top of the heap um, even but that's the backstop whenever anybody pushes back and like well what about economic policies and so on and so on and you realize you're not really pro-life the backstop is always what about abortion but right. that's not, well, and, that's, and, that, and that's my point as well. I mean, I think I think the abortion thing is kind of the rhetorical trump card that you throw out mm -hmm. whenever you say because nobody can, it's it's un, you know in in that group you can't you can't object to that. Like if somebody says, "Hey, well, it's this is the pro life candidate," then if I'm a Christian and I'm pro life, and then I, all of a sudden I'm like, "Well, okay, if you got to follow your conscience, pro life that's really important." But when you dig into that on survey data, they prioritize all kinds of things more than. Uh, abortion. It doesn't show up. And we're not the first survey to show that. I mean, people have been showing that for a long, long time. Uh, and in fact, I was uh, I was talking to Ryan Burge, who is a, you know, a, a, a data analyst extraordinaire, political scientist. He and I were going back and forth a couple weeks ago and we were sharing data. And we actually showed that like people who have the strongest views about abortion don't tend to be politically active anyway. Right. Like like you're you you people who like think abortion should be illegal or or outlawed in all circumstances or that kind of thing, don't actually tend to be that politically active compared to other people who have different priorities and values when it comes to abortion. So that that would suggest to us, we both kind of came to this agreement, that the abortion thing doesn't really drive political participation so much as it is it it allows you to explain why you're voting the way you're voting in a way that that kind of seems justified for that religious group are, are these folks even persuadable <laughs> right oh i mean that's well it becomes that's my that's my struggle when i'm when i'm thinking through political philosophy right 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 well i mean i think that becomes this kind of uh and andrew can speak to this as well but it just the the comp combine that with the dug-in kind of you know hey partisanship with the misinformation uh and the fact that we've just kind of sorted ourselves into these people who watch mainstream news and I think are getting more facts and people who are going to these alternative news sources, Newsmax and OAN and Fox to some degree and Breitbart and all of these and just getting Russia times or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> just getting lies on top of lies fed to them. Uh, and so, I mean, it's not just like different ideologies. It's completely different information. So Andrew, I mean, you can speak. To that. Oh no, yeah. I think that's the, the huge issue now is just, you know, uh, 
the splintering or fractioning of, of yeah fracturing of our information ecosystems i mean there's there really is no way if we can't even agree on what a fact is or um you know so a, a, a piece of information is it supportable or not i mean so we're yeah those it's just worlds apart um so yeah whether or not they're persuadable i just i have a lot of doubts and and i think i don't know if that's necessarily cynicism but a recognition that christian nationalism is is kind of fundamentally concerned about power and privilege and so that you you can't kind of come up against power um, with with anything else, it's only going to respond to power. And so those groups that would want to maybe move the the society or culture in a different direction, um, it isn't going to be, I don't think, through changing hearts and minds at a large scale, or at least systemically, that's not going to happen. It's going to be winning political battles and and having the power to to actually create systemic change in a different direction. And so, yeah, I think the policies would have to come first and then people change their minds in accordance with that. Um, and so how that kind of relates to the abortion question, you know, it's, it's not necessarily on that, I guess, but just more of as we see where we go from here, what's going to happen. I think, you know, you look at Georgia, it's just going to take getting out the vote and getting, and, and that's what they, I mean, so the political right has been so good at building institutions for decades and, and mobilizing. And they're, you know, they're reaping the fruit of that where, you know, they've been able to have a lot of success, you know, at different levels. And so, yeah, those are kind of, I guess, random thoughts, but having to do with that. Yeah, I, I suppose um, ultimately the Republicans may, may end up wishing that Stacey Abrams had become governor of, of Georgia, right? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah, so I, as far as the inform, information goes and, and just the general fragmentation, right, in, in my view, what's happened is we, we've devolved into just a political community that's really just a bunch of special interest groups with no sort of shared understanding or integrated vision of justice that sort of that we're after, right? This group wants X, this group wants Y. And so there's there's no agreement on purpose or goal, right? And at that point, when you don't sh- have any kind of shared purpose, what the facts don't actually matter, right? If if you can't agree that you should build a bridge, like a literal, not not a metaphor, like a literal bridge, right? Uh, it doesn't really matter how bridges are built, right? And in fact, one of the tools in your toolbox is to like muck up everyone's understanding of bridges. And yeah. call into question the, 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 the engineering there. Um, and the church is uniquely well-situated, ideally. Right? You've got a, a group of folks who are committed to the idea that they should be pursuing something other than their own interest, who are, who are well-positioned to provide an integrated vision of, no, 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 look, we shouldn't all just be showing up and trying to, de- to get laws and public policies that suit us or that suit you. We should ask ourselves what people are due, and we should we should try to have laws and public policies that conform to the objective truth about justice. And this is the, we should share a horizon here. But instead, you've got Christian nationalists who sort of decided to to turn, at least politically speaking, Christianity into just another special interest group. Yeah, right. Yeah. I mean, I, I try. I like. I, I want. 
I want conservative Christians, especially white evangelicals, to, to understand what an, a, an a, from, from their language, an, an apologetics nightmare Christian nationalism has been and Trump has been in the last five years. Because this was a, a group that, you know, they, they had the postmodernist boogeyman of, of like, hey, where's truth? And we've got to stick up for truth. And, and, uh, and now it's just been revealed that, like, you don't give a damn about truth. It was all about power the whole time. And, and what is truth? And like your facts and my facts and let's just go to fight. Right. Like and, and it's and it's it's uh, and looking looking as uh, you know, I'm not, not somebody who's necessarily looking outward in, but like uh, I can imagine somebody being like, look, why would I regard any of this as having any kind of weight or something that I should consider at all when you've already demonstrated that that that, uh, that you care nothing for principles or um you know, any kind of allegiance to some kind of a higher, like, well, hey, Jesus says we have to treat people like this. And so that's what I'm going to stick to, regardless of whether or not I see you as a political foe. Um, it's just thrown out the window, right? Like I can be Eric Metaxas and punch a punch a guy on a bike in the face riding by. I can I can create uh, any kind of reality that I want, uh, you know, no matter how many judges have overturned these claims of election fraud, I can just you know, imagine that there's got to be some kind of deep state uh, conspiracy uh, that affected 60, you know, judges, many of them appointed by Trump to to overturn an election and hand it to the Dems. And and so you're living in that kind of world. Uh, I, you know, how, how would you possibly think that the Christianity that you you stand up for, the truth that you stand up for is attractive in any way? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, they're, they are the, now the manifestation of the uh, of the postmodernism that they railed against. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Because because they have uh, because of how they've approached these things, they've sort of become a kind of uh, grand inquisitor, mm. right? Where where Christ himself could show up and say, No, 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 uh, you've got it all wrong. And it's like, uh, 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 Sorry, but we don't need you here. We've we've got this all under control. Right. Uh, you're gonna yeah. you're gonna ruin everything. So we're yeah. gonna. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, on that happy note, <laughs> you all have been very generous with your time, um, and and I, I don't want to I don't want to uh, keep you. We, we've been talking for an hour now. Um, sure. Any sure anything? Happens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anything else you guys want to add? Anything I, you wish I'd asked that I haven't I'd... already? I guess I don't know. <laughs> do do what? Yeah. Buy the book if you haven't already, I guess. Oh, right, right, right. Yes. Okay. Uh, uh, so, uh, tell tell me about tell me about the uh, the. No, no, no. I want to I want to promote your book, man. I want I because you were kind enough to come and talk with me, but also because I really think people should read it. I, I think it's good. So it, it's uh, taking America back for God. It's out with Oxford University Press, published in 2020. Yeah, close to a year ago. We're getting close. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think. There's a there's a lot on social media. People are talking about Christian nationalism. I'm grateful for that. I think a lot of people are searching for definitions. What exactly are we talking about? How do I know if somebody is kind of bought into this? And I think what we what we tried to do even before people were having these questions was try to lay that out, define it, measure it, operationalize it, look at its its effects on various political attitudes and behaviors. Uh, and so we, we think it has a lot of answers to the questions that people are now asking. And we're, we're glad that, that it just kind of worked out that way. But, yeah, yeah. For those wondering on social media about how Christian, like 
or claiming that Christian nationalism is this vague term or something like that. Uh, so Oxford University Press doesn't tend to publish books, the central thesis of which is ill-defined. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, right. Just in case any, anyone's wondering about that, yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah, and you know, and I get that like people probably have a concern, a legitimate concern about, you know, you just you just call every political view that you don't like or that it seems conservative Christian nationalism and you just kind of as a way of dismissing it. Same way people are doing with like critical race theory. It's projection because that's exactly now what they it's do projection. With like yeah. I don't like it. It's got to be it's got to be critical race theory. It makes yep. me seem, you know, it makes me feel offended as a white person. Um, and so, uh, you know, uh, but in, in truth, we actually put a lot of effort into defining it carefully and to measuring it. That's, that's one of the reasons why, like, even people who are critics of, I think, the use of that term, Christian nationalism, they've asked for the book and we and, and want to engage. And I'm actually fine with that because I have I have zero doubt that uh, the data say exactly what we, we understand them to, to be saying. And, and uh, we got lots and lots of data. So it. It's yeah. it's one of those things that it's like it can only be it, the more it is brought into the light and the more we can have that kind of conversation. Mm -hmm. I'm confident that we will will see this as a, a a major problem that the church and America and democracy has to deal with. Yeah, you, you speak yeah, with the confidence of a, of a person who uh, feels very strongly that is the truth on his side. For sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Andrew, I think go ahead. With with all of the um, data analyses if you're going to disagree with kind of our interpretation, you've got to make sense of all that data because we throw everything at it and it's still there. Um, mm -hmm. So like, for example, the, you know, the, the close connection between race and, and white supremacy and Christian nationalism. I mean, our measures of Christian nationalism say nothing about race. Um, there's, there's no question in there that brings to mind race, but how you answer those questions is consistently one of the strongest predictors of, of views towards, you know, police brutality towards minorities or whatever else. And so there's a story there. And if it isn't Christian nationalism, you've got to tell us, you've got to come up with a better one. And so I think in that sense, um, yeah, it's, we need to take it seriously and think through what this actually means. And um, yeah, we think that that, that story is pretty, um, is, is, is pretty tightly wound to what we find in the data. So yeah, it'll be interesting. I mean, Sam and his colleague are collecting so much data that um, we probably have enough for another book. Not that we'll write it, but, you know, following Sam on Twitter is a good good follow because you're going to see with kind of things that are happening in the news right away. You know, he's gotten this data that you can see how Christian nationalism, again, is it's just such a powerful cultural framework for making sense of how Americans make sense of their social worlds and, and two, how it's different from Christianity. Um, or some, you know, Christian religious traditions. They aren't one and the same, so. Well, thank you all so much for taking the time to, to uh, talk with me. Thank you for the work that you're doing. I think it's deeply important. Yeah, thank you, and you too. Yeah, thanks, thanks so much for having us. Absolutely. Mm -hmm.